In your bulletins, uh, you found a piece of paper. Uh, you can scratch on it, or you might want to write some things on it. Uh, I think you did spit back in that water. It tastes different. Uh, I had water with my name on it up here, on the cup, and uh, the music director said if he needed it to wet his throat, he would do so, but he would return it to the cup. So if I act funny or strange, uh, you know why. But this, in your bulletin, uh, some people call a listening sheet. You can listen without the sheet, but you can't, uh, you don't have to write in your Bible. If you want to write some things down, you can write anything you want to. That's yours, but I'll tell you what I think you ought to write there. Uh, You can listen and fill in those places. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13, which we have already read, I will read again from the... uh, New American Standard, which is almost exactly what you've already heard in the uh, English Standard Version. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, who were probably on the outer circle of it and and didn't talk directly to Jesus, but they liked to go through somebody else anyway, why is your teacher eating with these tax collectors and sinners, unclean people? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion or loving kindness or mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, in Matthew's account, which we're reading, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew probably out of not trying to draw attention to himself says in verse 10, Then it happened, after Jesus called Matthew, that he was sitting uh, in the house eating with people. Luke, who had no problem calling the name of the person who threw the party, if you would look in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, there Luke says, Matthew threw a party. Well, that's a free translation. Actually, he had a great reception, I believe the way some translators put it. Matthew, and the time that Matthew had most unredeemed friends was right then. The time that you had most unredeemed friends or outsiders was the day you came to know Jesus. And it's a natural possession in all of us who have been Christians or followers of Jesus very long that the longer we follow him, the more people that we run around with come to follow him also. And so is, there's this growing tendency in all groups, the older the group is, that we become more focused on people like ourselves and less focused 
on those that we call outsiders. Thus the term or the title of the message today, why spend time with those outsiders? That's a thing in their own language that the Pharisees repeatedly asked Jesus. Why are you spending time with those people, those outcasts, those who are sinners, but really not in the sense sinners were they thinking, because they were not truly redeemed people, or very few of them were, but they were very religious. And what they meant by that, why are you spending time with people who are irreligious? They are, they are religiously unclean and you're spending all of this time with them. And uh, Jesus had to deal with this from time to time. Uh, you see, the Pharisees were very good at keeping up the outward form of their religious faith, but not so good in dealing with the real meaning of it. Thus, they kept up with the feast days, the fasting days, and those who didn't, they pointed out and say, why are your disciples not keeping up with the fast days? One of the chief means of worship in olden days, in the Old Testament and the New Testament time, the Pharisees kept this up, was uh, a sacrifice, bringing a sacrifice to God. And all of these outward things, they we're good at doing. The thing that we can miss in today's world, and we Southern Baptists who believe the Bible, as somebody said, I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the maps. Uh, that's kind of being nonsense, but I mean talking about all that's in there. But we are people of the book. And so we would normally think that what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees would have little association or application to a Baptist as strict as I am. And they don't come much stricter than I. Uh, you may think I'm loose-jointed and that sort of stuff, but uh, I have been called by some uh, fairly uh, strict and particular kinds of Baptists that I was one of the most strict and particular that they'd ever met. And the more some of you get to know me, they do, you do say he is at least peculiar. Uh, but we sometimes think that what he had to say to the Pharisees, he surely would not say to us. But I say to you, am I not finding it easier in my commitment to follow Jesus to keep some of the outward rules more strictly than some of the more important things. Oh, I don't have feast days and I don't have fast days, though probably that wouldn't hurt any if I did. But I know how to come to church at 1030 for worship service and maybe make it Sunday school easier earlier than that. And I know how to sit and listen attentively, so far as the preacher thinks, at least, it's attentively. I'm not disturbing anyone by pulling their hair or bumping into them, 
keeping them awake, except I do my wife every now and then, try to nudge her. Uh, she, she's praying, but I think she's sleeping. And uh, encourage her to be awake also, because this is our religious duty. It may well be that we Southern Baptists have become just as pharisaical in our religious practices as the Pharisees and the very best of them. But we don't like to say that. But you see, Jesus said when they said, when the Pharisees said to the disciples, why is your master, your teacher, spending all the time with these outsiders? And Jesus, when he heard this, says, uh, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Now that was probably a common statement in those days like it is in ours. And he was just quoting that to them. And then in verse 13, there is another quote that we might not catch as a quote, but it is a teacher kind of quote that Jesus quoted for the Pharisees would have known that. But go and learn what this means. And then he quotes. They didn't have the the Bible, the Old Testament's all they had at that time as the Bible. They didn't have it divided into books and chapters. Well, perhaps in books, pretty much the scroll of this book and that book, but not into chapters and verses. So they just quoted it, and Jesus quotes it. I desire compassion. Some translations say mercy. Uh, some put loving kindness. You can put them all if you want. I think loving kindness is the one that strikes me. I think that's more getting at the gist of what Jesus was quoting. Look in Hosea chapter chapter 6, verse 4 and following. And what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like the morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them to pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth and the judgments On you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. There you see another word. I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I like the real thing. The Pharisees and those like them for years had caught the essence of the outside rigmarole of their religious faith and held on to that without being transformed inside and being showing to others that they were new creatures. And I'm the first to try to defend us Baptists that we are right doctrinally, but I am the first also to say that I'm right in the middle of Baptists at being more right doctrinally than I am practically. Because I can tell you, I believe, what the Word says. But I do not as often, shamefully I say, demonstrate to you what the Word's effect is to have had on my life in transforming me and making a difference in how I walk and how I talk and who I associate with and what I spend my time and the energy of my life saying, give Jesus my all and encourage others to do likewise. 
I've done a much better job in saying your responsibility is, and you've fulfilled it well, if you attend regularly the worship services and hear this great preacher preach, and yes, put your offerings in the offering to pay the bills. Am I stepping on toes? Good, because if I'm not, I ain't there yet. So let's go on. Now, Jesus was accused of spending too much time with the outsiders and not spending enough time with the good religious people like themselves, the insiders. We are guilty of it too. And now the listening sheet, you might say. There are three because why should we spend time? Not only Jesus, but I'm holding out to you that we need to learn how to spend more time with outsiders and less with us insiders. We need the fellowship with insiders. But folks, we need a whole lot more than that. Spend and fellowship. I've watched and I've had a few years to watch and I've been guilty of being a party in causing it to happen too much. But the reason that we don't see a lot of outsiders is because we've spent all our time rubbing shoulders with insiders. And you look at any Baptist church budget, and the budget says, obviously, if you'll consider that what you spend your money on is the thing that you consider important, we're just like those folk. Look at our budget. How much of it is spent? How much is it allocated with the outsider, the one who does not have a personal walk, a personal faith, a transformed life filled with the Spirit of God, those on the outside, not just the outside of the building, but those outside of Jesus. Mainly we spend it on us insiders. That's why we got more insiders than we got outsiders. So why should we spend time with outsiders? Number one, because outsiders, Jesus said, need to experience God's love. Isn't that what Jesus said in verse 12? The Pharisees says, why are you spending time with these outsiders? You know who your followers are. You know who the the, the real religious people are here. It's us. But you're going out with these people there. And Jesus said, It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but it's those who are sick. Lest I forget, I'll say it now that I say this. Jesus is probably somewhat of using a play on words, which I always like. Sometimes my family looks at me dumb when I try that because I mean for them to catch the playing on the words, and they think I'm being dumb, and I think I'm being smart. Now, Jesus was probably using this when he says, it's not the righteous, or it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Now, the Pharisees, if you would ask them, they would tell you that they were not sick, but they really were. Anybody who does not recognize the need of God's grace in their lives and let it transform them is still sick, but they call themselves healthy. 
read an interesting thing, and you may not see this, but I think it's funny, and you'll think I've gone to the birds today because I've got two stories I want to tell that have to do with birds. One, the first one is is about uh, a lot of geese. Uh, it was this fellow, Kierkegaard. What, he was a Danish a theologian of another generation. That makes him way back there, if I say another generation. But Kierkegaard said something like this. And this shows how long this problem of outsiders and insiders had been going on because he was making fun when he said, most of our churches can be likened to a flock of geese Upon their perch that we call a roost, you're old enough to know chickens, and I take it that he knew about geese, that these geese roost on their perch or uh, where they are. But he said these perches, this roost that they're on is padded like the cushions that you're sitting on. And he was making fun of churches. They're like this flock of geese on these padded perches that they're sitting on. And up before them is a gander walking back and forth. I think he's making fun of a preacher there. The gander is saying to you, use your wings, rise and fly. And the geese on the padded perches say, hmm, and remain right where they are. And he says, churches are like that. And that, I said, ouch, when I read that. Because I thought, he's talking about me. I'm an insider. And I've been an insider for a long time. But I'm not like acting very much like a good insider like Jesus would want me to be. But no matter what a person says, whether I'm on the inside or I'm on the outside... The only way you become an insider is through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for all humanity. And you come in repentance and faith and throw yourself upon his mercy and his grace. And unless that has happened to a person, they're still outside even though they may spend time inside from week to week. As the chorus says, and here I'm going to try to sing right on tune. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. Inside and outside, on which side are you? One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside, on which side are you? You see why I'm not in the choir? But you get the point. That's the message that we have as insiders that we need to be sharing with all the outsiders that we can find. Because there's only one way to Jesus and one way to become an insider, and that's through casting yourself upon the mercy of God and the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for your sins. Why should we spend time with outsiders? Because outsiders need to experience God's love. He came to save them. Secondly, because showing mercy to outsiders or showing loving kindness to outsiders, that's the second place you want to fill out there, is equally as important as our formal worship 
You see, that's what Jesus was quoting in the Old Testament in Micah and in Hosea in chapter 6 in each of those books, that one of which we read just a while ago. Jesus was saying, yes, you need to be concerned about these other things, but what I'm most concerned about is that God's love in your life has transformed your life. I'm not disinterested in your formality of your sacrificial system. I'm not disinterested in that if it's done with a heart that has been transformed. God is not disinterested or displeased in worship that we try to offer up to him But unless it has transformed our lives and caused us to become deeply concerned for the outsiders, then we may be in the same danger that the Pharisees were in that day. And that's the problem that we must deal with as a people of God. In verse 13, Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous but the sinners Uh, I desire compassion or loving kindness and not sacrifice. Or you could say not just the sacrifice. Jesus was constantly saying in one of his stories about the wedding feast and people had been invited and they hadn't come and he said to them, go out and compel the people to come in that my house may be full. Again, Jesus says in the last part of of, uh, the gospel according to Luke, then this message is to be proclaimed to all nations. And for those who were a little recalcitrant and reluctant to go out, Jesus said, don't say it's sometime until harvest. I say to you, look at the world right now. It's white already to harvest. Those of you who know about grain like wheat and oats and barley, when it is brown, harvest is getting close. But when you look out across that brown that has turned almost white, you better get the combine in. Because if a hard rain comes, you've lost it. And this is what Jesus was saying. It's time now to get out into the harvest. Again, Jesus says, as my Father has sent me, so I send you. But I say... Oh, don't talk to me like that, Lord. I'm comfortable with those things that I have come to be acquainted with for so many years. But I need to hear Jesus saying, but stand at the door and look for that one you've invited and invite them in and take them by the hand and say, this is the class for you. I know right where you'll find the word of God being taught. Or if it's worship time, you'll come in and say, you sit here and I'll sit there. No, you come and sit with them. Making the outsider feel comfortable with all of us insiders. Though I say, I like the way things have always been done. That's good that I like them like that. But how would Mr. Outsider like them? I need to ask that question more. And I can say... I want a class like I've always had. But what does the outsider, would he recognize that he was in something that was speaking to his needs if he came into the classes that are like I've always had and have met my needs, 
but they no longer speak to the outsider. Am I getting on more toes? Good if I am. If I haven't, I need to keep on going. I see the head shaking, no. We'll go on. I enjoy the cozy fellowship that we have in all of our various meetings. That's good that you enjoy the cozy fellowship. But what about the outsider? If they came in, what would they think? I'm out of place. Show me the door. I want to get out of here. And they never come back. Thirdly, why should we spend time with outsiders? Because Jesus directs his ministry toward the outsiders and he expects us to do the same. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, that probably, the last part of that, is probably meant to be a play on words. The reason I say that is, when a young man came to Jesus and he called him uh, the righteous one or, or the holy one, and he says, there's or the good teacher, he says, there's none good but God. And that's what Jesus would say here. There's no one righteous without God's righteousness being applied to their lives. But what Jesus is probably doing is a play on words, you who think you are righteous, I didn't come to call you. You won't listen anyway because you think you're all right just like you are. So you don't hear what I'm saying. And uh, that's probably meant to dig at them a little bit. Jesus always directed his ministry toward the outsiders. That's why he got such flack from the the Pharisees. You you read in some books about it and, and you can read through the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and as particularly, and there are those what they call Sabbath controversies. Why are your disciples getting some of that grain and rubbing it? It's not that they were stealing it, but they, they were eating this wheat or barley or whatever it was they were eating, chewing on it. They were getting onto them because the disciples were harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine? Just harvesting grain. And they were breaking the Sabbath rule. Jesus said, you're full of nonsense and corruption. And Well, that's my loose translation of it. But there were the fellowship controversies. Why are you spending time like this one that we just looked at? But Jesus, again and again, even when his disciples came to him and said, Master, where have you been? He'd been out praying all night. They said, the whole crowd's looking for you. And the woman had another session. You preached so well yesterday, the house is full. They want to hear you again. And Jesus says, what? Let's go to other towns because that's why I came from heaven's glory. Not just to fill up one place, but to go until all the outsiders become insiders and we'll keep on going. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And when he was down in Judea and he needed to go into uh, Galilee, he did not follow what the Jews, in order not to, especially the very religious Jews, in order not to be contaminated by the half-breed Samaritans in between Judea or Judah and Galilee, they crossed the river Jordan, went up on the outside in no man's land, 
and crossed over the Jordan so they didn't have to rub shoulders with those ornery, no good Samaritans. But we read in John's Gospel account, chapter 4, when Jesus was down in Galilee, or down in Judea, and he needed to go to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. Rub shoulders with those Samaritans. There was one woman there that he knew needed to come to a saving power of God in her life. And she needed something, not that she could come and draw from a well, but she needed living water. And Jesus directs his ministry, breaking all of their their traditions and all of their religious practices and becoming unclean by going through the unclean because he wanted to come to the unclean and make them clean by the living water that only he could give. And he says, you're to do the same kind of thing. He went to the home of Zacchaeus and he was laughed at and he was made fun of because he was spending time with an outsider an especially bad outsider. Not only was he a a tax collector, but he was the head accountant of the tax collectors. And he had made himself filthy rich in all four pockets out of everybody else's money. What worse company could he be in? We could have sat down and had a nice steak sandwich and enjoyed it. And aren't you getting hungry about now? And we could have enjoyed it, but he's out rubbing shoulders with these no good. My brothers and sisters, we need to get out and do the same. Uh, I've been here long enough to say I'm one of you. So I can talk about us. If we don't get to doing something different than what we've been doing, signed, sealed, and delivered, a package containing our church, we're dying. And it may come shorter than you think. I don't know how it can be turned around, but I believe that Jesus is on the right track here, and I believe he's speaking to our needs, and when Brother Steve asked me what I was going to preach, this is what came to my mind, and I tried to get off on something else, and I thought, no, that's what I need to hear. So maybe that's what you need to hear too. He received Nicodemus even at night. Can you imagine? Under the dark, what what went on? Maybe up on that housetop. Nick at night, out there with Jesus. What kind of stuff goes on like that? We always have the floodlights on. We always know. We've got the watchman outside to make sure that no evil comes in there. All kinds of stories might have got started because he's meeting these guys at night. And then another time, there's some Greeks. They were not like us. I don't know if their skin color was a little different or whatever. And one disciple goes to another and said, there's some Greeks here that want to talk to Jesus. One disciple goes over with the, that one and says, hey, there's some Greeks here that want to talk to Jesus. And they came to Andrew, and Andrew says, if the Greeks want to talk to Jesus, to Jesus we take them. And he brought them to Jesus. Outsiders are the ones that Jesus came to save because he was directing his ministry toward the outsiders. And then when Jesus was having a a bang-up good time, revival meeting, and souls being saved. It was an evangelistic crusade, and he was on one side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and lo and behold, he says to them, let's get in the boat 
and go to the other side. And you know what he met there. He met this guy who was stark, raven mad, filled with all kinds of evil spirits. Jesus knew on the other side there was somebody who needed for him to come inside and cleanse him and make him a real insider. Why should we spend time with outsiders? Because Jesus gives that direction to his ministry and expects us to do the same. Now let me make some applications as I come to a close. And it's, it's, I'm borrowing a little bit of your time. I turn this watch back and I'll... Uh, okay, now we've got a little more. We'll do this. It's good to have a mechanical watch so you can do that. How many outsiders have I brought into Sunday school lately? How many outsiders have I brought to enjoy the fellowship in Forever Young lately? How many outsiders have I invited and gone by and picked them up and encouraged them to come to brotherhood meeting lately? How many outsiders have I brought in to WMU? Oh, I know these things aren't for outsiders. They're really for us insiders. How many outsiders have I brought in and sat with them in this worship service? Shameful enough that tears ought to come to our eyes. God is speaking to us to say, get busy. I directed my ministry toward those outsiders and you'd be out there too if I hadn't directed my ministry toward you. That's what he's saying to me. That's what he's saying, I believe, to all of us. I don't know the answer to how to do it, but God's got the answer. And I believe he is leading us to do that. Let me close with a story about ducks. The story goes like this, that there was a wild duck flying probably on his way from north to south or south to north with lots of other ducks. And this wild duck saw a lot of these tame ducks down in the barnyard on the farm. And he broke off from the crowd and he flew down in the midst of the tame ducks. Ooh, it was nice. He didn't have to go looking for the corn. It was thrown out to him every day. Man, this is some place. And he stayed there for quite some time. He ate, drank, and he was happy ever after. And then one day, some of those ducks were coming back from north to south or south to north. And he thought, hey, I'll join my my crowd. There's my buddies coming back, part of my family. And so he takes off with a run and flaps his wings and he's too fat, and his, his muscles are too unused, and he falls down. And they come by again, and he tries the same thing. He was never able to get up and soar with them again. Till finally, the ducks could cross overhead going south and going back north. He just looked at them, didn't try anymore. And we can get to be the same way unless we go to the outsiders 
and make that the direction of our ministry. God saw that somebody was making that direction of their ministry or we wouldn't be where we are today. I'm so glad in that little country church back in Oklahoma. Some people thought about outsiders because I was one of them. Deacon come by buying gasoline from my daddy's service station that I worked on Sunday. He didn't need gasoline. All he needed was 50 cents worth, and I bought quite a bit in those days. But he came by to talk to me. And I'm an insider because they trusted their ministry toward outsiders. God help us to do the same. As we sing together and God's spoken to your heart, you come and make the commitment that you need to come and make. You make it right where you are. You need to talk with Brother Steve. He'll be here and he'll talk sense to you, even though you might think I'm nonsense. Let's stand.